Hello, this is FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the .esports podcast network. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan of CNET. Media and marketing publication DigiDay published an article earlier this month about low freelancer rates found in esports journalism. The article focused specifically on Gamers Group, the same company that owns .esports, Twinfinite, Destructoid, The Mary Sue, and recently acquired Upcomer. Rates can be as low as $15 for a 300-word news article and can go up to $50 for articles with more reporting. While FTW is published and produced in partnership with DOT, neither the site nor its management have any editorial control over this show. It's precisely why I'm speaking with the author of the article, Alexander Lee. Alex, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Ahmad. So Alex, you and I have you know, seen the state of esports journalism, and it's kind of emblematic of online journalism generally, but given esports' more niche audience, the problem seems amplified. You and I have both been freelance esports journalists, so we can speak towards this uh, very intimately. Uh, tell me about your experience being a freelancer in esports before you were hired at DigiDay. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely worth acknowledging that the two people in this conversation are two people who, I mean, you as well are intimately familiar with these issues. So mm-hmm. um, it, I, I should say that I was never a freelancer full time in esports uh, like you were in large part because the rates are so low and the amount, the volume of work necessary to sustain yourself full time is, is just pretty high. So I were, I wrote about esports as a freelancer for four years prior to starting full time at Digiday, but I always had a job in a full-time job in book publishing as well to support, to support me. And, you know, I, I think that's reflected in some of the jobs that I took or really was able to take earlier on in my career, just so I could, kind of cut my teeth in esports journalism and, and have bylines I could use to build my career. Uh, you and I both worked for ESPN esports back in the day. And I mean, even their rates were not really anything to write home about for a major corporate brand owned by Disney. Uh, I would typically get between $50 and $200 for a feature article. Right. The funny thing is I, I say those rates are low and I think they are low for general media, but those were incredibly high rates for esports journalism at the time. There was another website that I wrote for that I won't even name uh, because I, I don't want to roast them too hard. I did agree to these rates, but they paid me $5 an article, typically for <laughs> about the same level of writing. And this is just something that I did because I was a fresh-faced writer out of college. I didn't have that many bylines. And there was this idea that I should be honored and excited to, to even get any money to write about gaming and esports. And... You know, that was five years ago, but I think that that sort of false sense of you should be honored to do this and thus take a pay cut is still super pervasive in the industry. And it's a big reason why websites both at gamers and across the esports journalism space continue to have such low freelance rates. Yeah, when I was a freelancer before I was hired at CNET um, and, you know, before I was hired at Tom's Guide uh, prior yeah, you know, the the rates that I was looking at, and I was doing tech journalism as well, right? So, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it was impossible to do just esports writing. It, the, like, the rates were too low, and the uh, frankly, the work was just, it was too inconsistent. Because as an esports mm-hmm. writer, it's really hard to write across multiple games, right? I mean, yeah, maybe you could do, like, Smash and Counter-Strike, right? But you can't also, you know funnel in League of Legends and Valorant and Dota and all that stuff because it all requires very specific expertise, right? Uh, and to be able to know those games intimately, to know all the players, you know, at a, at a deep level, and then be able to, like, churn out content in a fast enough pace to where 
it kind of makes sense at an hourly hourly rate is really really tough um so i was doing a lot of tech and you know general gaming writing whatever to you know pay the bills uh, and when when i was at let's say digital trends doing freelance work for for them mm-hmm. the art the minimum word count for an article is 300 words so that it could index properly into Google. And this was back in like 2017. Uh, and so, and they, I think they would pay like 20 to $25 per news article. And if you were like a quick enough writer, you know, you could write two of those like tech stories in, in an hour. Right. And you're just like, and you know, in that kind of sense, you're like, wow, okay. I made like 40 to 50 bucks in, in one hour, mm-hmm. but to and then to do like let's say five of those articles a day it is pretty draining and it kind of breaks your brain to write at that at that pace uh and it kind of you kind of feel a bit like a content farm those those were the similar rates i was seeing at engadget as well uh, when i first started writing for espn the it, rod slasher breslow who you also introduced for the article was at espn at the time mm-hmm. and under him espn was paying a hundred dollars for an article and if you did like you know, I don't know, an article about Cloud Nine acquiring some player, which maybe took you, let's say, at tops an hour to write, a hundred dollars is actually a pretty good rate. Sure. But once Rod left, though, those rates were immediately cut in half. And as you said, ESPN at no point ever topped two hundred dollars for a reported piece, which is absurd given that it is owned by Disney, and it's also absurd given, and I feel like I can say talk about this really, the amount of money. ESPN Esports was wasting on its, uh, I mean, on its own internal projects and on its uh, salaried writers, right? I mm-hmm. mean, the expensive trips you would hear about going to South Korea for or, or China or whatever for like a month to cover Worlds. I mean, that is expensive. That is incredibly expensive. Uh, and or like the amount of money the, the writers were just wasting taking Ubers to work every day. This is kind of like internal stuff I'm hearing. I'm like, <laughs> like. And these are talented guys. I mean, they're, it's, it's, they're talented writers, but, you know, you can hire a freelancer who lives in Seoul, for example. You know, I mean, sure, there are other yeah. ways to do this. Yes, yes, yes. Or, I mean, just the idea of me being paid, let's say, $200 for an article. And, I mean, it was a deeply reported feature, right? And it, it was just kind of absurd when you would hear stories of, oh, uh, a writer t- has been taking Uber's back and forth from work to his like apartment in Los Angeles and spending a thousand dollars a week on that alone. I was like, what? He's, he's, he's spending a thousand dollars on Ubers. I'm getting paid like $200 for like weeks worth of work. Um, mm-hmm. And at no point did uh, the, the salaried folks, at least at ESPN took into consideration that that $200, like, you know, it has to pay for everything that I, that I do. And I can't just do a bunch of these. Right. And for, for them, they're just like, Oh, well, you know, you're making money at other websites, aren't you? But the problem is that if all esports journalism th- just thinks you're making money elsewhere and that you can just give us a cheap rate. Um, and it's I, I just want to say it's, it's particularly paradoxical because ESPN mm-hmm. is a big name. And so yeah. every other website you write for is like, oh, well, you write for ESPN. You're good. <laughs> Whereas ESPN right. is saying the exact same thing about every other website. Yeah. 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 I guess when you were talking to the people that you spoke to, uh, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but you spoke you mostly spoke to people who were um, – you know, at Upcomer and kind of the changes that Upcomer was facing when it was acquired by gamers, correct? I actually spoke to a number of freelancers across different gamers properties. Uh, mm. I spoke to a few people at Upcomer, but um, I, I, you know, I, I can talk about this now a little bit. Um, although it, it is funny that I'm talking about this on the gamers pod or uh, gamers affiliated podcast. <laughs> um, 
So I had been working on this story for months, actually. I had mm-hmm. a former, both former staff editors and staff writers and freelancers for different gamers' properties come to me because of other media reporting I'd done more directly about Upcomer. I wrote a story mm-hmm. about Upcomer's demise uh, in March. Mm-hmm. After that, I had a number of people from gamers reach out to me and basically say, look, you know, anonymously or off the record, there's a lot of really messed up stuff happening behind the scenes here in terms of how they're underpaying freelancers. Can we talk to you about it? So over the course of, you know, two or three months, I probably reached out to, you know, 10 to 15 former dot freelancers and staffers across all kinds of different properties, talked to them. And then when I found out that Gamers was acquiring Upcomer, I reached out to Upcomer writers to sort of get that final word, which became the news hook for the story. But yeah, to be clear, I mean, I was talking to people across the the network for this story. Hmm. I, I mean, in, in your reporting, at least uh, in regards to the Upcomer acquisition, uh, you know, explain, I guess, to our listeners what it was like for them. So, I mean, it was a mixed bag for sure. Uh, first of all, as with any acquisition, there were some heads that rolled after uh, Upcomer was purchased by gamers, um, specifically Wulu, who was one of their highest paid reporters, League of Legends roster reporter, and uh, Sean Morrison, the editor-in-chief, someone who both of us worked with at ESPN, uh, were both let go. And I believe uh, this is not 100% confirmed, but I was told that they were if not the most, they were two of the most highly paid editorial staffers of the website. So it makes sense that to cut costs, uh, gamers let them go. Um, uh, There's one full-time staff writer who was retained at the website. Mm -hmm. When I spoke to him, he was actually very optimistic. (laughs) Uh, He said that while they did receive a new contract that indicated that freelancers would be paid lower rates, his salary as a staff writer actually stayed the same during the acquisition and he told me that he felt there was much more stability in being part of the gamers network compared mm-hmm. to his previous experience being at Upcomer while it was owned by Enthusiast Gaming, where he felt like he could wake up any day and find out that their entire budget had been slashed. So mm-hmm. it's a mixed bag, right? And and I, this isn't something I was able to write about much in the article because it honestly would have added another thousand words or so. But part of the reason why gamers and .esports is a notably successful company in this space and one of the few consistently profitable companies in, in endemic esports journalism is because its business model kind of rests upon being able to pay younger writers or writers who have some other form of monetary support low freelance rates in order to consistently churn out relatively quality content. And, and I, as a journalist, I think Dot does really great work. And so... There's a paradox where Dot is it's is consistent and it's successful and it's a place where writers can feel like they can go to sort of build their career. But that consistency and success is also built on what some people would probably describe as exploitation of those writers. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, that's all to say that when I spoke to people at Upcomer, there was actually a sense of of sort of cautious optimism Um now, when I spoke to freelancers at Upcomer, not staffers, but freelancers, they were all pretty nervous and telling me that they were looking for alternatives across the board. Uh, because mm-hmm. as a freelancer, I don't think I don't think knowing that the company you're working for is consistently profitable is really that much of a sigh of relief, you know. So yeah, I'm definitely a mixed bag. Um, but 
something that maybe didn't come through in the story is that despite the fact that gamers properties do have a bit of a reputation for paying low rates in this industry, that didn't prevent people from actually being a bit optimistic or, or at least tentatively optimistic about the acquisition. Did you ever figure out what kind of traffic Upcomer was pulling in before the acquisition? Right. So Upcomer, by the time it shut down in early March 2022, was hitting an average of 1 million unique users per month. That's, I, I, if people aren't aware, that is very bad. Yeah. Yeah, that, it's unsustainable. Like, I mean, that, I mean, that's maybe something that could work for a blog, but not for a website with um, salaries over $100,000 for some of its writers. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, yes, I agree with that. That said, it was only one year into its relaunch, and you and I know that media businesses can take years to spin up. So while those numbers are probably not what enthusiast gaming executives wanted, I don't think that those numbers a year in are necessarily a sign that it was destined to fail if, if they were willing to invest more time um, and capital into it. I mean, I suspect, I, I, I'm not a gamers executive. I'm not even an employee at gamers, right? So, But I suspect that like gamers does with its other acquisitions, it takes low-performing websites and yep. optimizes them for Google search engine optimization very aggressively to try to bring it into profitability. Exactly. And to do that, it also requires just having a bunch of freelancers writing quick articles that can feed the Google machine. Yeah, the entire gamer's business model is finding badly monetized gaming and esports. They don't just do gaming and esports. Finding badly monetized digital media brands that mm. have you know, some reputation and, and some history of relatively quality content, um, acquiring them and then supercharging their monetization. And, and gamers does a great job of that, to be honest. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate that that's kind of the state of journalism itself. Uh, so DigiDay has the benefit of having subscribers, right? So you have people that can, that pay for, to use the website and I, I, people get maybe three articles a month, uh, for free that they can read. And then after that, they mm -hmm. have to give money and that gives, gamers and courts and the washington post like some of these websites a cushion to not have to rely so heavily on google seo not that you know i've talked to editors at the new york times don't worry they're also trying to optimize for seo as much as possible but for them it's not the end-all be-all because there's a huge pool of subscribers that are paying yep. salaries and um, i should say for for digiday even even beyond our subscriber model which which is you know definitely a nice sort of safety cushion for the website we also mm -hmm. run both digital and in-person events that we sell tickets for and that are sponsored by various brands and platforms. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, hopefully I'm allowed to say this, those are a huge moneymaker for us. If, if Digiday did not have an event side of the business, it wouldn't be a sustainable business. Still, websites that have that give content for free have to be constantly looking at ways to make revenue. And it's really hard with having to rely on Google. And uh, in Australia and in Canada, there have been bills that have been proposed that would have Google pay websites and news publications money directly because, like, let's be honest, the number of local newspapers that have shut down since, like, the advent of the internet is like, tremendous, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And the company that has been sucking up all the internet dollars is Google. And I know this because I'm the Google reporter at CNET. Unfortunately, a similar bill was being proposed by um, by senators in in the U.S., but I believe Ted Cruz killed that bill. Um, so uh, say what you will about Ted Cruz, but uh, he is consistent, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Before we jumped on this call, you know, I, I I also wanted to uh, 
get you know, talk to people at dot to get some background info and kind of just get their thoughts on on the article as well mm-hmm. um, i mean i will say that uh, I, you know i wrote an article for dot like as a freelancer i would say like two three years ago and after doing some like finagling negotiations the most that they would pay me is 100 bucks right uh and I, given like the work, I mean, I didn't put a ton of work in the article, but I thought it was you know worth worth more than that. But I I, I really just you know I support Dodd and wanted to give them a good piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But you know at the same time in your article you say that there were, there's like an upper cap for thirty a non negotiable cap of thirty five dollars. I mean, the people I spoke to said that that's not true. So I mean, where where I guess where are you hearing like this thirty five dollar cap? And do you think that it is true or that gamers is trying to cover up for for a thirty five dollar cap that? It might either be non-existent or just might be too embarrassing to to really. Right. Yeah. No. So there's nuance. There's nuance here, and mm-hmm. and I admit this is something I probably could have clarified better in the article. First of all, I'll say where I got that information from. That is directly from an editor at dot uh, at a, at a gamer's property. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's not something that a freelancer told me. It, an editor told me that those are the rates that they were given. Freelancers asked if they could be paid more. The editor went to higher ups to ask if it was possible to raise those rates, and they were told no. So hmm. that I should say that only applies. This probably is some that this non-negotiable aspect is probably something that is more applicable to the smaller and less successfully monetized gamers' properties for hmm. which this editor, one of which is was where this editor worked. Um, I did speak to a number of freelancers that had negotiated, you know, special agreements with Dot in some capacity. Um, so I probably shouldn't have said that, that, that upper limit was entirely non-negotiable. Uh, but I will say that it is some, it is an upper limit that many freelancers were told was non-negotiable. So Mm -hmm. yes, maybe there are some, uh, yes, certainly there are some people at DOT who have received special treatment. I'm glad to hear that you were one of them (laughs) for real, (laughs) but, um, what I wrote there is is absolutely the accurate experience of many many freelance writers who write for dot properties. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say. Uh, but I I think that's a fair call out and definitely something that I could have clarified a bit more in the article. I, another thing that I got from at least speaking to people at dot is that like the idea is that freelancers who are at least and I speak I guess I'm sp- speaking specifically maybe more towards dot or whatever freelancers who want to write about esports for dot are going to be just be given largely quick news articles, right, that can be pumped out so that it can just feed, like, the Google machine as quickly as possible, right, so that things get in- indexed towards the top of the fr- fr- uh, front page. The idea, I, From what I'm gathering, it's, like, Dot really doesn't want permalancers. It mm-hmm. wants people to, like, you know, get bylines um, so that, you know, they can kind of get their feet wet in, in eSports journalism. But ultimately, if somebody is contributing heavily to the website with good content and wants to do more reported stuff that dot will try to reach out to them and give them a full-time offer. Uh, again, again, this could be, you know, PR spin from, from dot, but uh, yeah, I'm curious what your, what your take is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm less willing to admit to any, uh, nuance there. I don't think that's true. I mean, I, hmm. if you even look at the masthead of dot, go to dotesports.com slash about, there's an entire, there's like a whole slate of contributing writers. These are names that anyone who works in esports journalism for long enough probably recognizes. Notable names like Liz Richardson, who writes about the Overwatch League for Dot. Um, these contributing writers are all permalancers. These are all permalancers. I mean, Liz, Liz, for this is just one example, not to harp on her. Liz is 
is a name that has basically become synonymous with Dodd's coverage of, of, of Overwatch esports, as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned. And she has a pretty significant following, but I just, from what, from talking to people in editorial roles at Gamers and Dot, especially these days, Overwatch League coverage just doesn't get enough traffic for them to justify bringing her on full time. So, mm -hmm. like I said, this is an example of a writer who has done incredible work um, and, and is, whose name is, to some extent, synonymous with Dot for and has worked for the company for years, who has never been given a full time position with health insurance or, or benefits for the website. That's pretty messed up. So if they're telling you that that they reach out to people after a certain amount of time to offer them full-time positions, I can tell you that from what I've heard, that is not true. You are correct. She's very talented. But yeah, I don't think I was aware of her permalancer status uh, just because, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I guess I don't talk to like all the Dodd employees uh, at, at that intimate of a level all the time. I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone listed as a contributing writer on um, on the masthead. That's someone who doesn't have an official at dot esports email address themselves. And I was told by a former dot staffer that that means that that person is a contract worker, not a full timer. And contract is just another form of freelance work. I mean, let's be honest. Right, right, right. You know, you also were able to get a statement from Gamer CEO. What did he what did he tell you? Yeah, and I want to thank Riyadh for talking to me um, for this. Uh, we we were talking about, really, we you know, we we had a call about the acquisition in general, and then I sort of pressed him on this stuff, and he was honestly gracious in, in, in talking to me about it and giving me, um, you know, pr pretty thought-out answers. Um, I will say I, I don't think he was entirely transparent with me. Um, sure. It's not what I would expect either. Um, but here, let me find an example, because... I will tell you that I, um, <laughs> I I had a couple of former gamers staffers reach out to me after reading the article and tell me that he lied to me. Um, and that's their spin on it. I don't think he necessarily lied to me, but I do think that he was putting like PR spin on stuff. Let me let me actually go back to find. Yeah. So, for example, like the tears, the tears that he was talking about, I guess, for context for listeners, um, one thing that an upcomer freelancer complained to me about is that their their contract which previously had very explicitly laid out freelance rates for different types of articles, had been replaced by a new gamers contract that specified different rates for different tiers of articles, quote unquote, tier one, tier two, up to tier five, but did not actually specify what those articles, what those tiers entailed. So when I asked um, Riyadh Jakani what that entailed, he said, tiers work very simply. Um, it's, we make it very clear, depending on the article type you're writing, you'll receive a different rate. So... Tier one is a quick hit news report that'll get you X dollars. Long form a long form guide is a tier X that'll get you X dollars. Um, he made it sound like the confusion would be cleared up basically as soon as someone had a chance to talk to the freelancer about it. Uh, I spoke to for other former freelancers who wrote for various gamers properties that also use this tier system, and they told me that they felt the tier system was sort of exploitative because they were often not informed what tier their article was until after they filed it. And the editor mm. had a chance to read it and say, uh, mm hmm, I feel like this is a tier three article because there were all kinds of esoteric metrics that they used to determine what was tier one, tier two, tier three, that while the writers did sort of know them, they were these sort of just like subjective measures based on editors' thoughts on how much independent reporting went into each article or so on and so forth. And so the tier system was actually a big source of grief for some freelancers who worked for gamers' properties uh, because... They felt it was a, an op, it was a way for gamers editors to pay them less than 
they had initially agreed upon for certain articles. Hmm. I should say there were also examples of their articles getting bumped up a tier when they were when they were filed. So it's not in, entirely that gamers was using this explicitly as an excuse to to cut down fees. It was just another example of how communication between management and freelancers was not necessarily the best. So yeah, I mean mixed bag. When I spoke to Riyadh, I, I want to say overall, I I thought he had. He was gracious in, in speaking to me, and I honestly respect his business acumen <laughs> in, in building Dot. I mean, it's it's clearly one of the more successful endemic media networks in this space. Yeah, he told me things, and then staff write, and staffers came to me after and said, that is not entirely true. The, the, the kind of the indication that I was getting from speaking to folks at Dot was that, at least on the freelancer side, the idea is to compare rates to a to a part-time job or to an hourly job and i pushed back i said you know the problem with journalism is that or at least if you compare writing freelance articles to let's say working at a coffee shop that pays you 15 dollars an hour mm-hmm. if it's slow and there's nothing going on you're still being paid that 15 dollars an hour but if you aren't getting work uh, uh you know, while freelancing you just aren't being paid so there's like a vested interest i mean yeah obviously uh Writers want to get paid as much as possible, but there's vested interest in getting that higher number because it supplants the hours in which you aren't working uh, just because like sometimes news is slow or what have you and things just aren't happening. I, I, I just want to hear get your thoughts. I mean, do you feel yeah. similarly? In- yeah, absolutely. And uh, sorry to interrupt Ahmad, but I, the, I think it goes more. It goes beyond that. I think we need to consider what what does it what is what, what does the work entail when you are an mm-hmm. esports reporter? I think you and I probably can agree and and know from our our lived experience that to be really to be an esports reporter or journalist, particularly someone writing for Endemic like Dot Esports, you can't just sit around and write, you know, articles for a few hours a day. You need to live the life. You need to you need to go to esports events. You need to hobnob at industry parties. Uh, right. you, you need to network with with other journalists and with other with and with esports athletes independently, um, building these connections and this network of sources is is significant work. If you're only paying people fifteen dollars an an article, or assuming that what they're doing is a part time job, then you're inherently asking them to do that work free of charge. And I mean, maybe part of a freelancer is doing that work free of charge. But that doesn't mean that I can't complain about that. And I know that now as someone writing about esports full time, I am able to do that stuff and feel good about it because I'm a salaried worker. And I understand that my job includes going to, you know, a Riot Games dinner during Worlds in New York so I can hobnob with Riot PR or something Mm -hmm. like that. But that's something I'm doing after hours, you know? No, I totally feel the same way. And that is something that kind of gets lost on me is that when I was a freelance in gaming and esports, I was constantly... Yeah. trying to connect with people outside of the hours in which I was writing. And the idea is that, you know, by making these connections, I can then pitch more articles, then get paid. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And, you know, here's the thing, right? I'm not going to just crap on gamers or other publications I've written for, because this is just like the, the kind of the sad state of journalism in the age of the Internet. Mm-hmm. It is a kind of a rush to the bottom. And it's all about just trying to maintain growth to get 
traffic on Google and other platforms because people just don't go directly to websites anymore. And there's a lot of reasons for this, including like changing trends on like how people interact with the information that they get and how they acquire that information. It's just, it's really (laughs) kind of difficult to be a journalist uh, sometimes in this space. So Mm -hmm. I I, I do respect like kind of how gamers has created, you know, it has created full-time jobs in esports journalism is it going to be at the level of a washington post or new york times reporter in terms of salary and compensation and whatnot definitely not but it just kind of is what it is and mm-hmm. I, I i really don't know what like the abs- exact solution to that is at least in the esports space because so many people who read and watch esports content just get it for free and that's the expectation whether it be mm-hmm. twitch streams or youtube youtube videos and or or articles, right? Or Reddit posts, whatever. It's just, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's just kind of my rant. And I and I, I agree across the board. I, I agree with you that I, I I have a lot of respect, like I said, for Dot for for carving out the space that it has in this industry. And and I really want to stress that the article I wrote was it it was pegged to Dot because or to gamers because there are these real issues that that mm-hmm. people had come to me with, and and there happened to be the sort of news hook of the acquisition. But and I hope this comes through to people who read the story. Gamers is not unique and is not necessarily even like the driving force behind this. I mean, for years, IGN, which is one of the most prominent gaming journalism brands, paid even worse. And it was only relatively recently that IGN's rates went above what Dot what yeah. Dot pays to some properties. So I really don't want it. I don't want it to come across as if this is one evil company that. Is, you know, and, and if and if its rights are wrong, then suddenly esports journalism will be a, a wonderful place. Like, the, yeah, these are deep problems. And I think, I mean, I don't know what the answer is for these businesses, but I think the answer for for, for writers and, and potential freelancers is to pursue independent media more. Like we've seen some people in the esports journalism space do. I mean, Jacob Wolf, for example, a friend of both of ours, went from Dot to creating his own independent content production company, Overcome. People like Travis Gafford, which, you know, who formerly worked for worked as journalists for institutions like Yahoo Esports, are now independent interviewers, um, you know, who glean their their living directly from fans interested in their content. Um, and from and that kind of well, OK, yes. <laughs> and from corporate. Good, good point. Good point. Um, and then and then on top of that, you have people like Jake Lucky, who while they Jake obviously also is employed by indirectly by NRG. Um, is still essentially an influencer and streamer in his own right and could probably strike out on his own and make a living as someone who's basically an esports journalist. So mm. for better or worse, I think the way that you and I came up in this space, which is kind of grinding and writing writing freelance articles for you know all kinds of different endemic publications, that pathway is is sort of it's sort of drying up right now. Um, and I think there we'll see more and more people just kind of following in the footsteps of people like Jacob or Jake, uh, instead mm-hmm. of trying to do what we did. I, you know, I will say that anybody who's listening and is saying, well, Imad, Alex, whatever freelance writer, why don't you just do what Jake is doing or what Jacob are doing or Travis, Travis is doing. Here's the thing, right? There, there are downsides to just being this kind of independent influencer brand that's trying to, you know, also do reporting, but also kind of sell themselves, right? Uh, somebody like Has- uh, Hassan, or, you know, I guess Hassan Abi, who goes on, on Twitch, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, he is making a ton of money just doing his kind of rants on politics on Twitch. And good for him, you know, he's an entertaining guy. 
no hate against that. The problem is that he is a source of information for a lot of people with no editorial control, right? It is just pure his kind of stream of consciousness coming out. And I think that's, first of all, I think that's bad a bad way to consume information. That's maybe a good way to pursue, uh, consume yeah. opinions, but a really bad way to uh, consume information uh, in that it's always going to be a little biased and whatnot. And the the good thing about publications like Dot is that you have editors who are there to kind of check your biases and try to make sure your reporting is clean and good. I will say that Jacob with with Overcome and his newsletter, he has a editor that he works with, a very good editor who checks Jacob all the time, right? And mm-hmm. makes sure makes sure his writing is not only sharp, but the way he's writing is in a way that's you know objective and editorially sound and the reporting is coming through and is um and he's doing all like the small baby steps to make sure the whatever he's writing is clean uh to the the reader and when you have somebody you know like jake or travis or whoever whoever have you who are just kind of like giving their rants they are not i mean they're wells of knowledge but they lack a certain level of discipline that comes from just being like let's say an editor with years of Mm -hmm. experience that can oversee a bunch of writers and catch people and their foibles whenever you know they make a mistake or lean too much into their own personal editorialization of content. At CNET, for example, I recently was working with an editor, Andrew Morris, who was who worked with the Wall Street Journal for a very long time, and the the perspective that he gave in my reporting was kind of absurd. Like it, it was just the the experience that sometimes comes from like traditional old school newspaper journalism is just lost on so many new writers because they'll never mm-hmm. it, they often will just never have the opportunity to work with these people because getting an opportunity to work with these people is just so it's it's just reserved for the so few that can make it so that high into the journalism space. And I don't know what kind of solution there is for that, but yeah, it's I guess what I'm trying to say is the solution in my opinion is not to just create your own YouTube channel and do your own thing. It might be it might be a solution for your own financials, but not necessarily for journalism at large. And I and I, I to be clear, I completely agree. That is that is the solution for individuals who want to be able to survive and make a living doing journalism about this industry in some capacity. But it won't help the industry at large. I did not want to make that make it seem as if I thought that either. No, no, definitely not, definitely not. Uh, but Alex, you know, we've been running for a while, so I, I do want to let you go. But again, thank you so much for giving me your time and coming onto the show. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks for having me. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and share. To follow Alex and keep up to date on the business of gaming and esports, you can find him at Alex Lee Was Taken on Twitter. To follow me and my work over at CNET, you can find me at Imad on Twitter. And with that, we'll catch you guys next week.